Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? I suspect that we haven't got wisdom entirely all figured out. And if you have, and you're trumpeting that from the rooftops, we may need to talk about your definition of wisdom. Wisdom is a difficult, beautiful, hard thing. And I am grateful that we can ask that question, what is wisdom in a community of faith together? In fact, as I shared with the children just a minute ago, that's part of what wisdom is all about. Leaning into community to discern to grow, to learn, to figure things out. One of the ways that we as a church community listen and discern and grow and try to figure things out is by turning to stories in the Bible, turning to stories in the Bible that provide us an opportunity to explore who God is and what it means to be in a faithful relationship with and for God and what it means to live out who God is, God's love with and for God others, and for all creation. We turn to the Bible to seek after wisdom, the way of God, what is true, what is healing, what is hopeful, what is good. And so it is that we turn this morning to a passage of scripture that's part of a larger sermon series that we've been going through in which we're returning to stories that perhaps we heard before as children, maybe in Sunday school, if we grew up in church. Stories that were probably presented to us in one kind of way because we heard them as children that might be far more complicated and complex, wild and raw, and might not, might not mean everything we thought it meant when we read it the first time. There may be so much more to it than we realize or expect. And so I'm excited to return to this story, the story of a famous person in the Bible, wise King Solomon, a person who was so famous for his wisdom that it was said that, that, that people from all over the world would flock just to hear and experience his wisdom. He's said to be the author of the Proverbs. He's said to have written not just a thousand songs, but a thousand and five songs. This is an incredibly wise person who can sing and write beautifully about nature and can also rule in fairness, in equity, in justice. And today we're going to read a story in which we see this wise king rule. But of course, as we return to stories, perhaps there's a lot more going on than we realize. And maybe the question is, is Solomon wise? Or if he is wise, does he stay wise? What does wisdom mean? And what does it mean for us to experience that as we return to the story of wisdom? So join me, if you will, if you have your Bibles this morning, to 1 Kings chapter 3 the story of Solomon seeking after and being gifted wisdom and then putting that into action in a famous story. As I read for us this morning, um, I may pause and offer a little bit of commentary or some points that we can return to when the sermon begins. Starting in verse one. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. 
owe. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. We're gonna pause there, right at the beginning. To offer a little context, some things we need to know. The Hebrew people were under the thumb of Pharaoh in the land of Egypt. They had grown and Pharaoh thought they were a threat and the way that he dealt with this threat of their political strength and might, the concern that they might overtake him in their number and in their multitude was to put them to work, to enslave them for these building projects, which then economically the Egyptian kingdom benefited from. And God heard the cry of the people and raised up a leader, Moses, who would stand before the Egyptian Pharaoh, the king, and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And plagues ensued and things got really bad for the Pharaoh. And he said, fine, leave, get out of here. And the Hebrew people left with Moses. And then Pharaoh changed his mind and his heart hardened. And he said, we got to bring them back. Who's going to work for us? So he chased them to the red or the reed sea. And there God rolled back the waters and the people escaped and the Egyptian army trying to chase them down was crushed and cut off. And as the people entered into the wilderness there to worship God and to pursue the promised land that God had promised to them, they were reminded that they should not return to Egypt, a place where they were dominated and dehumanized and demoralized, where they were worked to the bone exploited, killed. And even when they were tempted to go back to the system they knew when they were wandering in the wilderness and trying to figure out life for themselves, they were reminded time and time again, do not go back to Egypt. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Solomon brought the Israelite kingdom back to Egypt. If we know the story, that signals to us things probably aren't going to go as planned. This may not be a sustainable trajectory. Verse 2. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord, this is important because the important um, place to worship God would become at the central place in Jerusalem, the temple there. But there were other high places associated with a time when other gods were worshipped in those places. And so it wasn't wise, it wasn't good that the Israelite people would continue to worship at those places according to the story. And so even though it's okay at this moment, it's not okay for that practice to continue. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only, however, uh uh-oh, he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places, not where the Ark of the Covenant was in Jerusalem. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I should give you. This is a great moment. This is a great scene. Imagine, if you will, imagine that God comes to you and says, ask what you want. What would you say? What are the desires of your heart? What do you want? Well, let's find out what Solomon said. 
And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart towards you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on this throne, on his throne today. The people of Israel, when they came to the land that God had promised, set up a kingdom, and David was the first one who united them all together. David has died, and Solomon has ascended to the throne. And that's the situation where we find ourselves and Solomon in this story. And now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, perhaps 15, 18, 20, he's in his youth. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? Solomon asked for a discerning mind. Another way of translating um, one of the things he asked for here is a listening heart. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or for, the life of, or for the life of your enemy's vengeance, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, at which point Solomon went, wait, those were options? <laughs> Whoops. God does then say, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind, a listening heart. No one like you has been before you and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. And if we ended the story there, we'd say, look how wise Solomon is. He's been gifted wisdom. He'll be wise. Everything's great. But God adds something else. If you will walk in my ways, if you will keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then all of these things, wisdom and everything else, will be yours. In other words, wisdom is an ongoing task. You've got to study. You've got to learn. You've got to keep being faithful. Then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream, which, to be clear here, doesn't mean that it was untrue or false or bad or unreal in some way. In fact, in the ancient world, the way that the, the dreams were kind of like a portal of connection to the divine, to God. This was how God was speaking to Solomon, much as God shows up for Joseph in a dream in the New Testament. Late, then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem where he stood before the Ark of the Covenant, which was there in Jerusalem, of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being and provided a feast for all his servants. So we have this flawed individual who aligns and creates an alliance with Egypt, returns the people of Israel to Egypt, which is a harbinger of not good things to come. We have someone who seeks wisdom, and that is a beautiful and good thing, and for whom God says, yes, that is good. Also, you gotta keep at it. Wisdom isn't a one-time thing. It's a lifelong journey. And it involves paying attention to who I am and what brings life through my teaching, instruction, Torah, commandments. And then we have this famous story. Perhaps you've heard it before. 
Later, two women who were prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, please, my lord, this woman and I live in the same house and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. We were together. There was no one else with us in the house. Only the two of us were in the house. In other words, there are no other witnesses to to say whether or not the story I'm about to share with you is true. Then this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. She got up in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your servant slept. She laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, I saw that he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, clearly it was not the son I had born. But the other woman said, No, the living son is mine, and the dead son is yours. The first said, No, the dead son is yours, and the living son is mine. So they argued before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son that is alive and your son is dead. While the other says, not so, your son is dead and my son is the living one. So the king said, bring me a sword. And they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living boy in two, then give half to the one and half to the other. But the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because compassion for her son burned within her, please, my Lord, give the living boy, please give her the living boy. Certainly do not Kill him. And the other said, it shall be neither mine nor yours, divide it. Then the king responded, give the first woman the living boy, do not kill him, she is his mother. All Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to execute justice. The word of God for the people of God. What is Wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, according to the Proverbs, wisdom is a treasure, a gift of God to be sought after. Indeed, I love one of the ways that uh, Proverbs chapter, chapter two puts it, to cry out for insight. It is to seek, to cry out for, to yearn for, to long for, to work for understanding. A kind of full, spiritual, big picture understanding. Wisdom was crucial in the ancient world for justice and for judges. And the king often served in a place of justice and judgment as the judge among disputes. And so it makes sense that King Solomon would ask for wisdom, for this was one of his royal functions. Wisdom may be a little bit different in that judicial context than it is in the ways that we talk about it. We do hope our judges have wisdom, but we also hope that we might have wisdoms, even when we're not sitting in a position of adjudicating right and wrong between two claimants who come before us, also known as parenting on Tuesday. We, we do hope that we have and, and want wisdom. Indeed, it's a spiritual virtue that is a part of being a Christian, that is a part of living in the way of Jesus, who we talk about as God's own wisdom made flesh to help us and to guide us and to teach us. And so it is, I think this question is incredibly important. What is wisdom? Now, was Solomon perfectly wise? I think there's some danger in thinking that he was. I think there's some danger in, in, in turning Solomon into a, such a hero of the faith that he's so different than us, that he's so grandiose and supernatural that it's almost like there's nothing for us to learn from him or his experience or what wisdom is. 
He just had this supernatural gift of insight, these clever sayings that help him reach these right and true judgments and good luck for us. I've tried clever sayings with my children and they never seem to work out that well. But what if that's not what wisdom is all about? about finding some character of perfect wisdom and hoping that maybe we too can have a divine encounter that gifts us with supernatural wisdom to always have the right thing to say in the right circumstance at the right time. What if wisdom is different? And what if, however flawed King Solomon is, however much he may not always be wise in the way that he ruled, what if this encounter with God in which he asks for wisdom reveals for us what it means for us as people of faith to seek wisdom. Indeed, just to underscore the point that King Solomon may not be as wise as we might like to think or as perhaps some of his court cheerleaders want to make him out to be, what ends up happening because of King Solomon's alliance with Egypt and with others is, putting, is elevating Israel onto the geopolitical map which then also puts a bigger and bigger target on Israel. On top of that, I mentioned that in some ways, in some ways Solomon brought the people of Israel back to Egypt. He does something else when it comes time to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. He conscripts labor. He forces labor on his people, bringing them back to the time of enslavement in Egypt so that he can have his building project done. And indeed, that political decision would not win him a lot of friends and might have, left, might have led to some of the crumbling of the kingdom that eventually would result in the kingdom splitting in two and eventually being conquered by foreign armies and the people of Israel being sent into exile. Indeed, King Solomon is a part of this traje- unsustainable trajectory that leads to the downfall of Israel to the trauma and tragedy of exile. King Solomon didn't always rule wisely. He's a flawed character. And yet, and yet, our job isn't to show how Solomon is perfect. Our job isn't to show how Solomon has it all together. Our job isn't to show that Solomon was the wisest person who ever did live. Our job is to ask the question with the story of Solomon and what Solomon's story lifts up for us, what is wisdom? That is the beauty of this story. It brings up for us the question, what is wisdom? Well, I want to suggest a few things as I suggested to the children during the children's moment. Wisdom, there's a number of ingredients. In fact, there are some centers for practical wisdom and centers for research about wisdom that offer, I think, seven or eight different ingredients. Here are a few that I have come to know and hang my hat on. Humility. Part of wisdom is knowing we don't know it all and learning to always have an open, teachable spirit to learn from whatever is happening in front of us. From the people, however easy or challenging they are to deal with, from our circumstances, whatever mountaintop or valley we are going through, from the beauty of creation and everything that is around us, What does it mean to learn and to grow and to be humble that we don't know it all? I also think that I love the way that that, uh, 
that God grants Solomon a discerning mind or a listening heart. Wisdom is about listening. Listening. What does it mean to listen well? What does it mean not to race and jump to conclusions, but to pay attention to things that we might have missed the first time we heard something? What does it mean to listen between the lines? What does it mean to listen to someone's whole story, including how they're presenting themselves, the pain or hurt that might be underneath the words they're sharing? What does it mean to listen well? And I think that wisdom happens in community. I mean, what does God say? God says, put yourself in community, Solomon. Learn after my teaching, captured in scripture. Become a student of my commandments. And the way we do that in church is by reading the Bible, interpreting it together, asking questions, thinking about how it impacts our lives and what it might, how it might be speaking to us in community with others. Wisdom is about listening. Wisdom is about humility. Wisdom is about community. And then we're invited to practice wisdom. To practice wisdom with the Bible itself. So I asked this question, this is the question that kind of God put on my heart. Where is wisdom in the story of the two women who come before Solomon? Where is wisdom? Who is the hero of this story? Where is wisdom in this tragic, awful situation? A couple of things came to mind for me. One, I think it's beautiful and amazing that when this story is brought up and brought to our attention in Scripture, that it's two people who are at the bottom of society who get a hearing before the king. Time and time again, it, it probably wouldn't surprise you to know that maybe there were those who never even got the privilege of the king's attention or energy or decision-making because they weren't seen as worthy or worthwhile or that their case mattered. And yet here in this moment, two women who have no one, who have no one, whose no one is in their house but them for each other, have this awful, terrible experience and they get an audience with the king. I think that's beautiful. I think it's important. I think it shows us a little glimpse of God, that God cares for everyone. And if we're gonna be wise, then our hearts have to be open to and for everyone. Now, the Hebrew here in this passage is really ambiguous. In fact, our English translators have really helped us out by doing things that aren't actually there in the text and make things a little bit clearer than they would be, but actually that's really, really, really confusing. And we have, there's no first woman or, or second woman. There's only this woman and that woman, and it's confusing who's saying what. It's confusing who's doing what. We're kind of left with not really sure who to believe. Who do we believe? So Solomon brings up this clever ploy and says we're gonna divide the baby in half. It was part of a rule of property that if there's a dispute and there are no witnesses and we don't know what to do, well then we just have to divide it in half and give both claimants their part. But this isn't that. This is a living child. And so in this moment when we're not sure whether it was the woman who told the story at first or whether it was the other woman who was saying no, that's not true, 
We're not really sure to who, who to believe, but what Solomon draws out is the love of a woman for her child and who would choose not to dig her heels in to be right, but instead would care for the life of this, her child, no matter whose hands this child ended up in. And as I read that, I think about how difficult that must be for that mother, how hard it must be to be willing to sacrifice your relationship with this child in order to preserve this child's life, and yet how beautiful that is in revealing the heart of God for each and every one of us, that God would go to whatever length was necessary, that we might have a life and life eternal. And so as I think about wisdom, as I think about what wisdom is, and I think about how it is meant to, meant to do good and not harm, I think about the wisdom of this mother who is audacious enough to want an audience before the king who could easily dismiss her or kill her child and who then chooses to sacrifice her relationship with her child so this child might live. And I'm grateful for however flawed Solomon is in his life, to hear the sincerity of this mother, to recognize it, and we hope, no matter how ambiguous the Hebrew is, that this mom who loved her child would have her child back. Now this is a moment of judicial decision making, a moment not many of us find ourselves in, but I think this story of wisdom can resonate deeply with us. What does it mean to listen to someone's heart? To the love they have for their child? For whatever it is that is under discussion or under debate? What does it mean to listen with our hearts? What does it mean, what does it mean to have the boldness, the boldness to go and ask for help with a situation that we're dealing with? One of my, one of my passions in ministry is to destigmatize therapy. I see a spiritual director and counselor and therapist. I go to counseling. I think one of the worst things that has happened is this idea that if you go to counseling, if you go to therapy, then there must be something wrong with you or your relationship or your children. And yet I think there's incredible wisdom, wisdom that has been shared with me by other pastors and parents and spouses. Wisdom that I struggled to accept at first because I thought I was supposed to do life on my own and have it all together. Wisdom that is, you don't know it all. There's always more to learn and there's always things that you are missing. That's, that having therapy, having counseling, having spiritual direction can help you sort out. The purpose is to make you better not to shame you for being broken. I'm grateful for wise people who have spoken life and community and encouragement and challenge into me and I, and I, and I believe strongly that wisdom is not a solo act. It is a community endeavor. And I'm convinced that one of, that one of our jobs as people of faith is to return to the stories of the Bible to ask after the wisdom of God. How is God teaching us with this story? 
however complicated and complex it might be, however strange and weird and confusing it might be, what does it mean to learn from others and how they interpret a story? What does it mean to learn from the story and the characters who are in the story so that we begin to sense more deeply the presence and the love of God? And as I'm thinking about that mother who is willing to sacrifice her relationship with her child so that the child might live, I'm reminded of my own experience with foster families and foster parents. Parents who have made the hard decision to do right by their child even when it means that their relationship to them has to change. Biological parents, foster parents. And I'm reminded as well of Jesus who even though, even though the people that he loved so deeply would put him up on a cross would nevertheless do whatever it took so that life might win. So that that symbol of death would be transformed into a symbol of life. So that when we think there is no way, we might know that in the creativity and wonder of God, in the wisdom of God, there is always another way. But you know what? I don't have wisdom figured out. And that's why I'm grateful to be in relationship with you. That's why I'm grateful to be in a church community so that I can hear from you. What is wisdom? What have you found wise? When it comes to wisdom, what do you hang your hat on? The beauty of church is not that we have it all figured out, but that we ask the important questions over and over and over again. Amen. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.